podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors. It's winter. It's cold. That's where you need your windows to step their game up and keep your energy efficiency on point where you're staying warm, keeping the heat high and the energy bills low. And your windows are vital in this fight. Pella's got the top of the line windows to do just that. You can holler at them your local Pella Omaha and Lincoln expert, or you can go online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. And the Nick Bob podcast is powered by Runza. And one of the great things about it being winter is the tradition unlike any other, and that is Temperature Tuesdays. It is back. It's that time of the year. Every single Tuesday in January and February, the 6 a.m. temperature at the coldest Runza location is the price you'll pay for an original Runza sandwich when you buy a medium fry and medium drink. Oh, baby. Temperature Tuesdays are back. Take advantage of it. Runza makes it all better. All right, on the line now, it's Dirk Chatlin, Omaha World Herald. We haven't talked in a couple of months. He's a guy that I, I always want to check in with. Dirk, how are things? How was Valentine's Day? Everything good in your world? You know, Nick, uh, this is a good time for a story. So, uh, it, let's see. 14 years ago, I was dating my wife. We've been dating for four years. Uh, and I chose a city rec basketball game over her on Valentine's Day. Uh, and and she, she sort of half, half decided that day that, that, the, that the courtship after four years might be over. And uh, the, the next day, unbeknownst to her, uh, I proposed to her. Whoa! Uh, so, so the fourteenth is is sort of our Valentine's Day, but the fifteenth is is maybe even uh, better yet, which wow. makes it a lot easier to get reservations. So, really yes. smart move, but by me fourteen years ago. That is a good move. Make your make the fifteenth the more impactful day, and you will have like your pick of anything you want to do anywhere across your your city of residence. You know. Yeah, Smart. I wish I could tell you that I did that on purpose right. 14 years ago, but right. uh, but I think I just lucked into it. And, I, and you know, losing the city rec game uh, <laughs> was probably a turning point too. I think I realized right. at that point uh, that, that I probably needed to settle down. Yeah, that I, I wasn't right. going to be a, a, a city rec MVP like I thought maybe I was. Right. Yeah. Well. You know, life life comes at you quick, and you got to make big decisions. And I think you made the right one, giving up your your basketball career and pursuing your now wife. So, congratulations on that. Okay, <laughs> I uh, so I mean, listen, I don't know. You and I could go back and forth on. At this point, it's like we've established Nebraska basketball is not good. Like we could say they'd be like, "Can you believe how they don't rebound?" And it's like we've we get it, right? Like I don't think you and I necessarily need to go back and forth with see who can conjure up more like. Are you kidding me about this team than than the other one? But I was thinking about I, w- I was thinking about this, and I don't mean to disparage the people that I'm about to talk about when I when I say this, but chew on this for me, Dirk. I think as we've learned, and we we think about this a lot in football, we don't think about it a lot in basketball. Your your assistant coaches matter. Your staff matters, and I think a part of putting together your staff is filling the holes of where you're maybe your weaknesses are as a head coach with your assistant coaches. And if you you look at you look at the the three assistant coach, Abdul Massey, recruiter. Armand Gates, more of a recruiter. Nate Lenzer, the new guy he brings in, he he's got an he was the G League head coach of the Bulls, which that that coaching is kind of weird, right? Like he has an NBA background. You read his bio, it's a, you know, his emphasis is on offense and player development. Like 
You think then about Fred Hoiberg. Yes, he doesn't want to recruit, but what Fred needs are some real, like, like Fred's an offensive-minded, kind of a non-confrontational kind of a guy. Like, what he needs is a guy like Doc Sadler to be more involved, and instead he's less because of how he shook up the staff. I guess what I'm saying is, like, I think I think as much as as we want to pen, and it's the buck stops with Fred, but like I think the the makeup of the staff does not complement where Fred needs them to compliment him. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, you know, for, first and foremost, I think it's a it's a bit of a flawed model because as much um, I, I don't want to say that Fred isn't interested in player acquisition, but I think he is less interested. Uh, and less engaged in recruiting than probably 90, probably 90 to 95%. I and mean, that's just a ballpark guess uh, of division one coaches out there. And I think when you do that, when you essentially turn over, you know, roster, roster management, roster acquisition to, to one assistant coach, um, I, I think, you know, you create some problems in building connections with players and credibility with players and accountability um, and, and so I think that first and foremost is an issue. Uh, but I agree with you. They need a, they need someone on that staff. If Fred's not going to be the guy, uh, they need someone to hold players feet to the fire. Yes. And, and I just think, you know, of, of all the things that are wrong with the team, I, I think that's the most important thing is there's just, there just doesn't seem to be any, um, I think it all comes back to accountability and discipline. Um, and you know, whether it's the, the inconsistency playing well one night and then losing by 30 the next night or shot selection or defensive transition, or there's all these examples where, you know, a player is not doing, he's not extending himself. He's not emptying the tank. He's not, playing for his teammates. Um, and I think that that stuff is typically solved by just a bulldog coach, whether it's a head coach or an assistant coach who doesn't put up with that crap. And Nebraska does not appear to have that guy on staff. Right. Yeah. And I think that's a, I think that's a real thing. I mean, I, I just think there's a, there's such a, there's such an offensive minded solutions, solutions based, uh, the solutions are based in X's and O's rather than effort and culture and those kinds of things. And like, there's a bit, there's a little NBA flavor in the staff. And I just don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't, that's not how you, that's, that's not how you win in college basketball, college basketball. Sure. There's a non-negotiable level of talent that needs to be there that this, this team is lacking, but winning in college basketball is more about culture and toughness than it is your, you know, a staggered screen with a slip than it is. Uh, and, uh, and, and your, or your raw talent than anything else. Nick, and especially in the big 10. And I, I don't want to be the guy who, you know, raises up the big 10 as, as something, um, you know, more prestigious than it is. But, but when you study the big 10 over the course of 20 to 50 years, um, I mean, the things that really stand out are, are hard nose, toughness, uh, size, stability, roster stability and coaching stability. Um, I mean, there's these characteristics in this league that, that are, I think really obvious and Nebraska basically uh, runs counter to all of those trends. I mean, they, they, they don't have a big guy. They don't seem to be too interested in finding a big guy. 
Um, and, and the, the roster stability is just, uh, is all over the place and it has been for three years now. And, and when you look around the league, it's like, you just see a lot of three, four five year guys, you know? Um, and I think it makes it tough for it, the big 10 sort of exposes Nebraska's weaknesses. Right. Yeah. I'm not sure it's better than other leagues. Um, I'm not sure it's better than the big 12, but it does expose Nebraska in a way that I think, um, you know, most of the other major leagues in college basketball would not. Right. Yeah. It's, I, I will be, I'm going to be fascinated to see how Trev Alberts handles all of this. Like, because the one thing we've learned about Trev is he's honest. Like, he, he's pretty, you know, there's certain guys that feel like they're giving you that canned media answer. Like, he'll kind of keep it real to a certain extent on, on why he feels a certain way about things and why he's doing certain things. Uh, you know, he's preached winning. He's and and the traits and qualities reflecting of Nebraskans and in a lot of ways this basketball team commits all the sins that Trev Alberts preaches. So, I you know I guess for me like in you could at least you may not have agreed with it but you could at least understand with Frost and the football program. Hey, there are some things that are working. We just need to tweak a few things. We're gonna do that and see where it goes. I I just I don't even know how you package things at the end of the year if you're Trev on maybe keeping Fred I don't I don't know well first of all I think anytime you lose a, a game by 30 points to a team that uh, is not even ranked in the top 25 I think that's alarming and Nebraska's done that now what four times yeah. uh, Michigan Rutgers Northwestern Iowa uh, if if I'm correct none of those teams are are in the top 25. You know, when you get blown out like that, um, it's it raises red flags about about discipline and effort, and and just whether a team is well coached or not. And and I think the concern, um, I mean, among many, is that what does this roster look like if you bring Fred back next year? Um, even if you shake up the staff, right? I don't think uh, I don't think there's really a way forward to where the roster is, is better. Um, I mean, I, I'd be shocked if Bryce McGowan's is on the roster next year. Um, I, you know, I think Trey will, will likely move on. And, and, you know, this is all speculation. I'm not, no, I know I'm not, I'm not talking to those guys, but, but when you look at it, you're like, okay, who's left and, and who is reasonable to bring in, um, you know, you're probably not going to get a high impact transfer, to come into a program that's that's coming off three single-digit win seasons, you might get some mid-major guys that that want to move up and see if they can play at a higher level. But I think that would be the concern: is that um, you know, even if you bring Fred back, what what is the what's the potential for improvement? Um, and so, you know, I look at the buyout, and it's it's obviously daunting, but it's not going to be much less daunting next year. Um, so I think Nebraska is going to have to, is going to have to make a hard decision and, and bite the bullet and, and make a change and they're going to have to find the money to do so. Um, and, and I realize that's, that's not my money and it's easy to say, sure. but I, I don't know how you can put this fan base. Um, I don't know how you can sustain credibility with your fan base if you put them through another year of this. Yeah. I, I wanted to ask you about that with the fans, because I think you and I have talked a ton just about how with navigating this the frost situation and whether to retain him or part ways like there was kind of a big picture fan base preservation thing to keep in mind if you are 
Trev and Husker hoops fan base and and Husker football's fan base are are obviously different, but it's a lot of the same people. Like I guess, how do you see that? fan base preservation element of things with how Trev is going to potentially have to make a decision with Fred in Nebraska basketball? Well, it's tough because first of all, the expectations are different. Um, you know, I think anybody would recognize that, that there's a different difference in expectations between football and basketball. Um, but, but I do think that this season has been different. I mean, I've lived through, you've lived yeah. through, uh, I, we've lived through a lot of rough Nebraska basketball seasons. I mean, there were, you know, yes. there were a couple miles seasons. There were a couple Sadler seasons where he was seemingly pulling guys off of, you know, city rec courts. And, uh, you know, Barry Collier was, was awful, uh, one year it, it's, we've been through a lot, I think as, as just observers of the program, but this is different because, uh, there, there is a sense among the fan base there is a sort of an aversion to this team because of the sense that they are, they're so far below where they should be. Um, and, and some of that is because I think maybe people think they're more talented than they are, but some of it is genuinely because they, they don't seem to play together. They don't seem to play hard all the time. And so I think if you, if you bring back that formula, um, I think you risk, sort of insulting the fan base in a way that, that hasn't really been done even in dark times. Um, you know, it's, it's sort of like, I, I know that this team is hard to watch, uh, but you know, we, we can't do anything about it right now. And so we want you to keep watching them. And, and I just, that's a little different than, than what Barry was doing or doc was doing, um, you know, when they were running out, Matt Davison and, you know, Ross Buckendall, uh, this is, it's just a, it's a little bit higher level of insult. And I think because of that, you know, you do risk alienating people. Uh, I'm not saying they're not going to come back eventually, but, but it is, uh, I think it's a little bit different situation than just being, you know, under talented and, and trying to, trying to sort of inch forward. Uh, this is a little bit different basketball team than we've seen in the past. Dirk, in a weird way, has has Nebraska basketball struggles this year? And this is a big reach, and this is maybe really you're really trying to to grasp at things. But has has Nebraska basketball struggles this year led to an increased appreciation for Nebraska football and its situation? Like I think for for the crowd with Frost and the football that preached this team isn't close quit quit your you are totally living in la la land if you think this team is close at all well I think you're actually seeing what not close actually looks like in basketball you know what I mean and I know they're different sports but like you I don't know how you can be a sane person and watch the football season unfold and then watch the basketball season unfold and categorize those two things in the same not close bucket yeah, it's funny. I, I watch the football season and and I don't feel like I ever really veered too far in one way or the other in terms of, you know, you have to fire Scott Frost or you have to bring back Scott Frost. I was just it, it was so gray. It was so messy. It was so muddled uh, that that it was, you know, it made it kind of hard and strangely fascinating to evaluate. Uh, this is not fascinating to evaluate. This no. is like, uh, you know, this is, this is slap you in the face, 
you know, a throw a bucket of cold water on you, uh, you know, levels of, of evaluation. And, and I think you're right that, um, you know, in hindsight, football was, you know, Trev Alberts could have fired Scott Frost and I think it would have been justified. I think it was justified that he brought him back. Uh, I think it was, it was, um, you know, I don't want to pat him on the back too much, but right, I think right. it was actually pretty, I think it was actually quite brilliant to, to do it in the way that he did it, where he sort of, um, you know, he sort of prepared the fan base that if this doesn't go better next year, as opposed to just coming out and saying, we believe in him. Yep. It's yep. going to get, it's going to get a bit, it's going to get better. Uh, he was, he was uh, unusually transparent uh, and, and I think prepared the fan base for sort of the reality of the situation in 2022, if it doesn't get better. And I, I think back and, and what, you know, what Steve Peterson, for instance, how his fate might've been different had he done the same thing, uh, 19 years ago or 18 years ago. Um, so, but, but I think this is a different situation. You're right. It's just, it's like, um, there's no tricking anybody here. There's no, um, I think if you even even the people that came to the arena on Friday night against Maryland, I think if you ask them, uh, is this is this have a chance to to get better? Is this have a chance to work next year? You know, I think you'd get eighty to ninety percent no. And so, uh, based on that, even with the even with the low expectations of the program. Uh, I think it makes it really difficult to bring to run it back next year. Right, and that's what you know. Everything you're kind of alluding to with what Trev said and how he packaged, you know, bringing Breck Frost makes it all that much more interesting on how what he's going to say about the basketball program. Because again, I mean, he you, you're right. He he wasn't he didn't give that like we think Scott Frost is doing an excellent job and he is this is going great. Like he kept it. He was like, listen, this you know, he's got to win. That's understood. You know, there's no empirical data. This is necessarily going to work. But, hey, listen, he's a Husker. We're going to ride with him. We think a few tweaks. But, you know, like he he was pretty honest in how he arrived at his decision. I just will be really interested to see how he packages or talks about what he decides to do with the basketball program. Because, again, if anything, he's probably going to be fairly honest. Nick, here's the concern. I mean, here's one concern. There are many. Uh, but, but where is the basketball? I'm not saying Trev is, is incapable, but, but where is the basketball expertise, uh, in the athletic department? Where is the, where's the voice of, you know, wisdom and experience and, and the connections and, and the things that you need to operate, you know, a high level division one basketball program, who has, who has that credibility and that expertise, um, and again, I, I'm not saying Trev Alberts is incapable of handling it, um, from an executive role, but, but I think it, it, as you evaluate the program, it, it does strike me that aside from Fred Hoiberg, mm-hmm. um, you know, th- there doesn't seem to be a lot of, a lot of basketball. I don't know what the word is. Um, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. A- acumen, experience, acumen. expertise. Yeah. yeah. It's, like, it's like, it's like, I think you need I think you need somebody in the program somewhere in, in the administration that, uh, that maybe has a little bit better feel for right. this thing. Right. Um, and, and that might be something that, that Nebraska needs to, to strive for going forward. Um, but it's going to be a really interesting month. I mean, I'll be honest. I thought that they might've already done it by now mm-hmm. because, 
because I think, you know, at some point it, it's a little bit of an advantage on the timeline. Uh, if you fire a coach to start, to start looking for a replacement and, uh, as football has shown us, you know, there's, it helps you start chasing a little bit. Um, so I, I'm after that Michigan game, after that Rutgers game, I wasn't sure Fred Hoiberg was going to make it to Valentine's day. Right. Um, and, and now, you know, it looks like it's probably going to go all the way through the end of the season. Um, but again, I just, I hate to be too, too dour on this, but I just, I don't see an argument to bring him back. I mean, that's just, there's a, and I, and I've, I've learned over the years following this stuff that there's always enough money. Yeah. There's always money somewhere. Um, you can find the money if you need it. And, and despite Scott Frost situation and a new football complex and, you know, COVID hitting the budgets, uh, if, if matters are desperate enough, I think uh, I think a school like that can always find the money. The Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors, and I want to talk to you guys about energy efficiency. And if you go into Pella's website right now, you look at it, and how about this? One, two, three, four, five different types of windows or doors by Pella won the Energy Star 2020 Most Energy Efficient Award. That's big-time stuff right there. And they achieved that in a couple of waves. They got insulated glass, which slows the heat transfer, keeping your home at a more comfortable temperature. They got types of low-E glass, which is a glass coating that has been optimized for your climate. They got triple-pane glass, which you can upgrade to for increased insulating airspace. And within all of that, one of the keys is proper installation, which is key for window and doors to perform at their best. And you know the Pella experts are excellent at that. Bottom line, energy efficiency matters in making your home more comfortable. And Pella windows and doors are at the top of the line when it comes to energy efficiency. Check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. Let me transition to a few other things. We'll get you out of here. I I, I do got to ask you about, I mean, Creighton... Like here they are. I mean, I know Ba Creighton Homer, blah 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 blah. I, and listen, Greg McDermott won't get it. Ed Cooley will. But to me, Greg McDermott's had a Big East Coach of the Year type of season. The guy loses all of his starters, all of his scoring. He's playing three freshmen north of twenty minutes a game. One of which is top five in the league in minutes in Nemhard. He's got a Division two transfer at power forward. Like, and he's got him squarely on in the NCAA tournament conversation. I think this team is deeply flawed, and I think you see that where when it goes when it's when it slides, boy, they they get to they they can really struggle. But obviously, I think when it's all right, they're they're capable. What well, I guess what has struck you as you has observed Creighton throughout the year? Well, it's just funny because it's it's just this classic NCAA tournament bubble season. You know, there's like every year there's like ten, maybe ten teams in the country who. Uh, it seems like they're never, uh, they're never safely in. They're never safely out. They're just, no matter what they do, they are, uh, they're constantly kind of on the brink and Creighton's that's sort of Creighton, right? It's yep. like, uh, once they play well and you're like, Oh, this team's trending in the right direction. Then they, you know, then they get outscored like 30 to two in the first 10 minutes of the second half against Xavier. <laughs> and, uh, so it, it's, it's a hard team to project, which I think, uh, for the fan base has to be sort of maddening and for the coaches has to be sort of maddening. But the the flip side of that is these are the types of seasons that test kind of the, the culture and, and the vibe around your program. And it's like, when you lose everybody, can you keep your head above water? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's a lot of programs that, that they kind of go boom or bust and they have a year like last year and then they cycle down and they're, you know, they're, they're four and 
four and 14 in the big East or four and 16 in the big East. And, um, you know, I, th- I think Creighton deserves a lot of, I'm not surprised, Nick. No, neither I mean, am I. Is what, this is what Creighton has done for, this is what Creighton's done for a long time. I mean, they just, they tend to never get too down, uh, aside from, you know, maybe that first year after Doug left, but, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a program that finds a way to, to win enough games to, to keep its head above water, even when things aren't going very well. Right. And, right. and I think that goes back, generally goes back to coaching, but I think it's also a matter of, you know, expect expectations and culture and all those intangible things that we talk about. Right. And I get like, you know, for some people, the, the, some people would say, well, listen, you gotta, I mean, this team, you know, they, they won the big East two years ago, they go to the sweet 16, like, why are we justifying a slight step back? I just I don't view Creighton yet in that like reload every year type of program. And I think you're probably with me on that. Like I I just I don't view them in the same lens of Ken- Kansas and Kentucky and and those types of teams where it's like it doesn't matter. They're bringing it, it even if they lose everybody, they're going to get right back to where they were. Like I do think when you're when you're at Creighton's level right now, I know they're trying to get up in it, but like I I, I think there's there's some I don't view them in that reload mode. Well, Nick, let, let's look at it like this, and I'm interested in your thoughts. If if you were going to separate the the Big East into into levels, uh, program levels, sort of the hierarchy, um, you know, Villanova I think is is alone, right? Yes. Uh, what what's what is level two? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, because if you go off of of what has happened and actually unfolded, Creighton has won the second most games. Big East games since the new Big East has been formed. So in some ways you would have to say that that second level includes Creighton, but it's hard to kind of, in my mind, of just catapult them past programs like historically like Marquette and and those types Xavier, of teams yeah. and Xavier. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I don't know how to answer that question because there's a lot of different ways to to view it probably. I guess would you put them in that second tier? Yeah, I think they're second tier. I mean, I, I don't think they're – you know, the NCAA tournament success has always been an issue. Um, and they've always had a harder time producing NCAA tournament wins than, you know, Butler and Xavier most notably. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I think the big East is odd because it, it's sort of, I don't want to say it's Villanova and everybody else, because there's always a couple teams that are challenging Villanova. Um, but I think it's hard to argue that Creighton is not at that second level. Right. Um, they're not, you know, they're not like maybe in the same way that that Virginia is the second level in the Big East or, um, you know, Texas Tech is the second level in the Big 12 or, you know, each conference is different. But but I don't I think it's hard to argue that you'd rather be very many other programs in the Big East other than Creighton. Right. Um, and it's, you know, from that standpoint, I think the league is is pretty rich in parity. I think it's kind of what makes it fun to watch. It's um you know, other than every team wearing the color blue, I mean, I, I really like watching the league. <laughs> uh, but, but, but no, I mean, honestly, it's a. Uh, I think Creighton is is right there, and you know, I think the nature of the program is that it's going to have um, going forward. My expectation is that they will have a year where um, they kind of they'll have a two year cycle where they where they trend up and make, you know, make a sweet 16 run or a regional final. And then they'll probably have a two year, you know, a two year cycle back where 
where they're back on the NCAA tournament bubble. And and that's, that's like basically happening. everybody right. else in the league. Right. True. Very true. Um, well, I guess we'll kind of wrap it up with, with this. I'm not sure if you were able to uh, listen to Adrian Martinez and his comments in his Athletes Unfiltered podcast. Everybody should go check it out. But there's been a lot of stories written about it. And I guess for me, I, like my biggest takeaway was just sometimes you always wonder from the out, you, you project what you think is going on inside the walls and you're never sure if that's actually what's going on or if it's not I think the my big takeaway was like Adrian Martinez's decision to leave all those things were kind of it confirmed what we all thought from the outside looking in situation had ran its course both needed to change no ill will with Frost they love each other like I I didn't I, I didn't necessarily think anything else was all that illuminating, but I thought it I always think it's interesting when you see a guy in Martinez who obviously was very in tune with the narratives and the discussion around him, and then we kind of I guess all accurately viewed what was going on behind closed doors between Martinez and Frost and all that with with the program. Yeah, I, I didn't I didn't gain a lot from it. Right. Um I, I thought that first of all I think it's I think it's mildly amazing that Nebraska didn't have a major fallout at some point between coaching staff and personnel, specifically quarterback. Uh, when you think about all the crap they went through the last three years, um, for for them to maintain a, a pretty good public face at quarterback, uh, you know, just think about all the crap Adrian did to himself by the way and and also endured yep um the fact that they kind of held it together for as long as they did uh is is mildly amazing um you know i think it was i think bringing bringing it back next year would have ratcheted up the level of impatience and scrutiny in a way that would have been unhealthy for everyone so i think they absolutely did the right thing but i'm not surprised one bit that there was tension behind the scenes, um, you know, that I think Frost, you know, the come Ohio State weekend, uh, I don't think Scott does this very often, but I think he was pretty desperate to um, describe all the stuff that they've been through and to sort of make a case for his job security. And and I think part of that was was trying to be a little bit more honest about Adrian's injury situation. And, um, you know, obviously that, that didn't sit very well with the quarterback, but, but I think, um, you know, I think generally speaking, when you consider all the circumstances, uh, I would have been shocked had there not been serious tension behind the scenes. Right. Um, so, you know, it, it is what it is. I think Adrian did the right thing. Uh, I think he's going to actually play pretty well at K-State, sort of free of some of these expectations and burdens that that, have, that he's been carrying now for quite a while. Um, and I think Nebraska will probably be better off for it, too. So it's uh, these things are kind of like, you know, they're kind of like friendships that, that grow old yes. or yes. relationships that grow old. It's like there's kind of a there's kind of a life cycle to it. And, and at some point you just decide. Uh, okay, I think we've seen enough here. Uh, you know, it's right. time to move on. Uh, you know, and you've got, I've got friendships like that. I've got, I've got work relationships like that. You just kind of have to realize sometimes that this stuff is not meant to last forever. Right. By the way, we're, you know, with the Super Bowl and the rear view, were you like me in that you understand 
how everything played out the way it did with Joe Burrow and him not coming to Nebraska, but still can't quite escape as you every time you saw him throughout the playoffs and the Super Bowl to just I, I just got to be honest, like I can't quite escape every time I saw him thinking Nebraska could have had that guy and they didn't like I and I get it, but it doesn't change the fact that it's like, wow, that is that's that's that is just, that's something that's certainly something. Nick, here's what I struggle with, okay? Um, and I don't know how else to say this. Because there was a – I have people, many, many people around me who who I fought with. Uh, and this is – I'm not trying to do I told you so here. But, you know, how you can, how you can say that Nebraska made the right decision at this point <laughs> is you are stretching, man. Right, right. You are stretching. Um and you can say that Scott Frost, you know, there's no way he could have known based on what happened at Ohio State, um, you know, that, that, that he was starting a program with a freshman quarterback and you can't disrupt that. But, but the reality is it's, it's Scott Frost's job to know. It's his job to evaluate. It's his job to get enough information on Joe Burrow to recognize that there might be something special there. And, and by the way, it's, it's other coaches job too, that didn't recruit him in the transfer portal. Um, you know, I, I heard a lot, you know, it goes back to reminds me of a Tim miles thing with, with Mike Dom back in the days, you know, Mike Dom was coming out of Kimball, Nebraska and goes to South Dakota state and scores like, I don't know, 3000 points or whatever. And, and the response was, that I heard from a lot of people, there's no way Tim miles could have known. There's no way anybody could have known. And that's true. But, but the rebuttal to that, the obvious rebuttal is it's his job to know it's yeah. his job to see it. Um, it's his job to project those guys in a way that the guy on the street, like me or you, or, you know, the average fan, uh, doesn't recognize that's, that's part of, that's part of recruiting is evaluation and, um, you know, getting getting enough information to make wise choices, and right. I think Scott Frost dropped the ball on that. He right. put he put he put too much stock in a freshman quarterback, uh, assuming that it was just going to work out, and it didn't. And and you can, you know, I'm I'm empathetic to the argument that if Joe Burrow would have come to Nebraska, he never would have won the Heisman Trophy sure, or been the number sure. one draft pick. Like I think that's probably true, but it's indisputable at this point that there is something special in that guy. Um, that that would have made him a success at Nebraska, and yes. and I think with all the family connections, it would have been even more special had it happened. Yes, I just think, you know, I I my wife doesn't really follow sports. She doesn't, and we, you know, and I we're watching the Super Bowl, and they showed Joe Burrow. I explained that whole thing to her, and she was like, "Seriously." He could have been at Nebraska, you know, and yeah. like, you know, like sometimes it takes an outsider and sometimes we're all too immersed into it just to like, just explain that to someone that doesn't have any connection or tie with Nebraska or anything like that. It's, it's unbelievable. You know, it's, it's, it's unquestionably probably the biggest missed Husker recruit. What if kind of thing, you know, even more so than Danny Woodhead and all that, like it's. It's um, it's uh, for me again. I I just couldn't help, but that was always the elephant in the room for me every time I watched Burrow throughout this playoff run. It was just like, wow, amazing. He could have been well. And, and Nick, it's also interesting to me how skeptical Nebraska fans were of him even after LSU. It was like, well, you know, he was thrown to Jamar Chase. And, right. You know, he's got he's got this all star supporting cast, and he's 
he's not actually that good. He wouldn't have actually been that good at Nebraska. Uh, I think now it's, you know, it's pretty hard to disregard his talent level and, and just the difference, the intangible differences between him and, and what Nebraska's had at quarterback for the last four years. Um, you know, it's a, it's a big, it's a big miss. And it's, I think fans would be wise to, to recognize that it's a big miss as opposed to trying to cover it up as they have most of the last three years. Dirk Chatlin. Well, we got spring football starting in like 12 days from now, which is interesting. Are you kidding me? Yeah. How about that? In the 28th, don't they start practice on the 28th or did I make that up? I don't know. I ignore spring football if if at all possible. The only thing I will say is like this is one of the few spring games. I at least one of like for some reason I can't I can't picture Casey Thompson and Chubba Purdy like out there. I know. So like I just want to I just want to see it. I'm not necessarily looking for anything else other than like okay I just want to see what that picture looks like and then I'm good. But yeah, it's crazy. We're almost like spring ball is almost here. Here we go. Yep. And, uh, you know, it's, it's time for, it's time for some fresh faces on the Nebraska sports landscape. Um, so I think, I think people are really going to rally behind those guys and, you know, try to make it work. I mean, there's a lot of skepticism around Scott Frost and there should be, but, uh, the thing that I think is very true and, and I'm not saying this with, you know, with, uh, with Kool-Aid stained on my cheeks here, but but I do think that there's a chance that this works, yep. uh, and and that is pretty fascinating when you think about it, yes. considering all they've been through. Uh, I still think they have a chance to make this work, and uh, I also think that there's a chance that they take an intermediate step. You know that it goes to uh, instead of going to ten and two right away, maybe it goes to seven and five right away, and and you sort of build it slowly. So um, from that standpoint, I think Nebraska football. Uh, will maintain its interest right just think if you get a little bit of an uptick in steady quarterback play in the big spots special teams goes from atrocious to average like you add those two things together like you're at least looking at a a bowl team you would think you know I mean you would think Nick and again again I I recognize the reality of the situation Uh, I recognize they lost a lot of veteran leadership all that but do you really think Nebraska can't beat Oklahoma on September? <laughs> in September, absolutely I mean, can. They absolutely can, and and if they do, uh, holy cow, it's going to be like right. you know cr- Christmas morning around here again. So, right. You know things change pretty fast in college athletics. No doubt about it. Dirk Chatlin, Omaha World Herald. Always appreciate the conversation. Thank you, pal. A Huda Media Production.